You are listening to the Treasuring Christ Church podcast. At TCC, we believe that church isn't just like a family, but it is a family. We hope you're encouraged by listening to God's Word today, but we would love to see you on Sundays at 1030. For more information, check us out online at tccannarbor.com. Let's uh, start with prayer, and then we will get going. Father God, thank you for this day that you bless us with, for this chance we have to gather together and learn more from your word, uh, learn more about how to grow uh, deeper in our walk with you, God, and our walk with others. Uh, Father, just pray that you guide uh, today uh, the lesson, and uh, just pray that we can uh, learn more from each other, and God, be guided by you and your word. In your name I pray. Amen. So today, like the uh, top of the uh, worksheet has, um, we're covering three different topics, which is the last part of the book we have, uh, Habits of Grace. Um, The Great Commission, Finances, and Time. Um, So over the past several weeks, we've been talking about uh, different aspects of uh, Habits of Grace. So uh, learning to hear God's voice through reading scripture, uh, through talking to God in prayer, and then by, long, by belonging to the corporate body of Christ through fellowship. So these three we've got today, Great Commission, Finances, and Time, how do these things fit into the habits of grace? Are you recording? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so um, the quote that has here from the book, it says, I find it most helpful to treat mission, time, and money together as disciplines and pursuits that first and foremost affects our regular hearing God's word, having his ear, and belonging to the body. So uh, the effect of, um, or the consequence of growing, uh, diving deep into these previous disciplines um, should be an impact on our commission or our mission, our finances and our time. Um, So starting off with the Great Commission, um, can someone look up in their Bible Matthew 28, 18 through 20? And let's see what that says. That's referred to as the Great Commission. Ready? Yeah, sure. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Great. Thank you. So our first uh, fill in the blank here of what is the Great Commission, um, they are go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. So go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. So in the first aspect of this, of being on mission, um, we first have, first part of making disciples is first to become a disciple. You know, actually to decide to become a follower of Christ through salvation. Uh, Then comes discipling um, that individual to grow deeper in the walk with God. So one of the quotes from the book um, is, when our life in him is healthy and vibrant, we not only ache to keep sinking our roots deep into him, but we also want to stretch out our branches and extend his goodness to others. Um, For both uh, 
bringing people to Christ and salvation and then discipling or helping a person grow deeper. What has been your experience uh, in the past in this? Um, how have you seen it in the church like you've seen it in the past on bringing people to Christ and then helping people to grow deeper? missions really been emphasized much at all in some past places you've been at or has that been like um, well that's for the professional ministers to do um. yeah I think like uh, at least in different uh, different places I've been uh, some of it has been more like international like okay we're always going to talk about like this is what we're doing internationally some of it's like hey we're going to put up billboards and this is going to be the thing where I'm going to hand you cards and about to everybody mm-hmm. and we're going to do a big Spark initiative for like the next two weeks. Uh, it's kind of been in cycles of that, at least as far as like outreach. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Personally. Okay. Also, one that I really liked previously was also just like our service for like single moms. I thought it was the coolest thing where it's just like you tell everybody mm-hmm. there's no affiliation necessarily with the church, but it's like, yeah, the church runs it. It's not yeah. like hidden, but you know, it's pretty obvious that like, hey, mm-hmm. this is something we're just doing. Right. Yeah, I had a, a previous church where we were at that had a, like a car care ministry. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, mostly yeah. single moms, but also some of the elderly in the okay, church, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. And um, some of the guys that uh, may not teach Sunday school or may do, not do something else, but they're like, I'll get my hands dirty exactly. and help out yeah. someone. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was a way to practically show love to those in the church and the community. So, uh, but yeah, there's quite a fair of food, food pantries. Yep, yeah, food pantries, uh, clothing. Um, banks um yeah i've seen a variety of ways that churches have encouraged mission uh locally or like you're saying internationally too uh, going someplace there's um a couple books uh that i've uh, got on your uh, worksheet there that i recommend as far as being on mission one is uh, radical by david platt um really really good book um yeah and then a follow-on that he wrote after that was something needs to change uh, also a really good book that may spur you on to leaving the U.S. and going someplace else. Um, <laughs> another one by an author I'm sure you've never heard of is uh, The Faith Road by Elliot Branch and talking about how God led him from um, his life here in the U.S. to Southeast Asia to being on mission and giving up um, all that he uh, was doing to uh, follow Christ in obedience. So really good books to check out. Um, all of you can find on Amazon or uh, other publishers. Um, let's see here. So regarding disciple making or growing deeper in our walk with God, um, it's a longer, more deliberative process where it takes time and effort. Um, I think people are familiar with things like being in this class, you know, teaching you how to apply these disciplines in your life, what that looks like and having discussion. Um, it can also be through a small group, uh, like meeting together once a week at someone's home, um, gathering together, studying something, um, doing life together in a smaller setting. Sometimes what's less common, uh, but even more deliberate than a small group, is one-on-one meetings or one-on-two, where, one, uh, where two or three are gathered and talking together and just really connecting deeply in each other's lives. Um, and that's all those things are part of disciple-making. Um, it can be kind of like a mentoring relationship where it's older to younger, and that could be age-wise, or it could just be simply um, spiritual age-wise. Um, it could also be uh, peers 
getting together and working through things together uh, as you grow and you walk with God and come up with questions or things I don't get or struggles that you have. All those things are disciple making. Um, and here are the quotes uh, from the book as well. Disciple making is the process in which a, ma- which a maturing believer invests himself for a particular period of time in one or just a few younger believers in order to help their growth in the faith, including help them to invest in others who will invest in others. And then one of my favorite proverbs from 2717, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. So that deliberative uh, disciple-making growth process um, takes some time, but of huge benefit. So four impacts of making disciples. Uh, So the first is disciple-making shows us our smallness and God's bigness. Um, So thinking big, God's global glory. It's what you're focusing on, everything for the glory of God to make him bigger. So thinking about global impact, but also um, starting small. Focus on a few. So sometimes that global view might be overwhelming, like, ah, there's so many needs, uh, so much uh, stuff to do. But if you start small and work on small, that starts to progress and grow bigger. Um, Faith Road really breaks that down in huge ways as part of their uh, teaching on that. Um, And then lastly, go deep. Invest at depth. So get past some of the surface things, which is really easy to do at the beginning, and really get into things that are impacting each other's lives. And secondly, it challenges us to be holistic Christians. If you've ever, ever had a, if you've ever had to teach a class, like right now, um, or to uh, give a uh, a talk at a meeting or a briefing, something like that, you know that as you study for it, get ready, it helps you understand a whole lot better. So as you're getting ready to have a small group meeting or those um, um, small uh, two to three person gatherings and you prepare for it, it helps you understand things better. Or as you get questions, you're like, ooh, I haven't thought about that perspective before. And you go and research or you discuss and it helps you become a more holistic Christian. And thirdly, um, disciple making makes us more aware of our sin. Ouch, I don't think we want to do that. Let's get that one. Um, so when you're discipling others, you're getting past just showing up on Sunday and saying, hi, everything's wonderful, my life is great. When you're investing your life more deeply into others, you get past that. And they see the real you, you see the real them, and it makes you more aware of, man, I've screwed up. you know, and Or I've offended you, and now there's the chance to repent and to show each other, hey, there is forgiveness no one's perfect. You know, you saw me on Sunday looking my Sunday best, but this is the real me, and get to know each other better that way. And number four, we lean more heavily on Jesus. As we go deeper in disciple-making and we see our inadequacies and our shortcomings, we lean into the strength that Jesus provides. We lean into his wisdom and guidance for steps to take, answers to questions, and wisdom from his word. And I got a quote there for the book. We disciple not to clone ourselves, not to reproduce our idiosyncrasies and personal hobby horses. Rather, we we make disciples to pass on the gospel. So, like I did last time, just a application point to think about. Um, but with disciple making, who in your life do you think can I disciple? Can I pour into what God has taught me? 
but also who can I ask to disciple me? Someone that I can learn from that's maybe farther down the road than I am. So if someone comes to mind, uh, feel free to write that in or maybe later on today, you're like, okay, here's a name. Or if you can't think of one, maybe just pray about God putting someone on your heart that you can invest in, but also be mentored by. All right. And next, the one that uh, uh, gets into the personal stuff of our life, finances. Um, so we got the quote here from the book. Generosity is one of the great evidences of truly being a Christian. What do you think about that phrase? Or why do you think that is, either one? Because if you uh, give, you're uh, not selfish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, it reminds me of an Acts when he's talking about how the believers were all together and had everything in common. And so they were just sharing of their resources and how that just like set them apart so much from the culture that they were in. Yeah. And so I think I was like centering on the word evidence of like people who are generous with with things. Like I think that sets them apart from other people who are always chasing something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's other things that you can do. Like you can be nice to people, you can show kindness, but that doesn't have anything tangible to it. When you write a check. I don't know if anyone writes checks anymore these days. But if you give money to something, that's a lot more real. You know, um, you can look at uh, if someone lets you see their uh, their budget and where the majority of the money goes, it's like, that's a good indication of maybe where their heart is. Um, let's see here. So, think of uh, as we mature as believers, uh, we become more and more aware that all we have comes from God. He is the one that supplies all our needs, provides for us, and comes through in so many amazing ways in answer to prayer. Um, however, the love of, or the trust in money, causes all kinds of problems. Do you love increasing your total income because you want more and more, or you enjoy the prestige that comes from it? Or is your security tied up in how much in your savings or retirement account? Um, seeing the stock market go up and down, um, sometimes seeing a person's attitude, it's like, oh gosh, they're now, they're now super worried because the stock market dropped 5%, 10%, and uh, they're all worried that I won't have enough retirement, what do I gonna do? Um, or they're constantly pursuing um, advancement in their jobs simply to pursue more income, more wealth, because now I can buy this, I can buy that, I can pay this thing off, and I can look better. And uh, so the, the love of money or the trust in it causes all kinds of problems. Um, are there any ways, other ways that you guys have seen that in your life or people around you, what money does to people? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, yeah, we, we're constantly 
exposed to that a lot in just media. Um, maybe not like social media, because usually social media is like the bright side of things, but like you end up hearing a story one way or another about someone that's just like unsatisfied with the lifestyle they've created, even though they may appear to be super successful mm-hmm. on the outside. Yeah. And of course, we can go off onto all kinds of other things regarding finances about um, learning how best to handle money, um, good habits and things like that. Uh, Thinking of um, folks who win the lottery and how much longer afterwards they don't have the money anymore, um, that they're bankrupt. Or um, sports players that got the multi-million dollar contract and uh, then they uh, get injured and they're out and uh, no longer have this multi-million dollar money and years later they're, they're bankrupt and broke because they never knew how to manage it, how to handle it. Um, but that can be a whole other topic that can get off on. Um, so let's look at uh, five truths regarding uh, spending and giving. Uh, one of them is money as a tool. Uh, one of the things the book says is with all the strong warnings in the Bible about how uh, we are oriented towards money, it can be easy to forget that the problem isn't money, but our hearts. So money can be used for all different kinds of things. Um, and useful for good, uh, but also it has a tendency to capture our hearts and make us into, like you said, selfish uh, people. Um, and talking about our hearts, uh, the next one, use of money reveals our hearts. Um, one of the quotes in the book says, hoarding money says something, that we fear not having sufficient funds at some point in the future. Giving it away also speaks. It's an opportunity to show and reinforce the place faith and love uh, is in our, has in our hearts. Uh, so, yeah, like what we said earlier, what we do with money reveals what is in our heart a lot of times. Um, whether our security is there or um, our uh, self-worth is there uh, can really reveal that. Then uh, the third item there, sacrifice varies person to person. So thinking of our attitude with money being a spectrum, on one end you might have hoarding it. I'm not giving anything away, uh, it's my, uh, my hope, my trust. Or on the other end you have giving everything away where I have nothing left. Um, both of those are two extremes on the, on the spectrum. Um, obviously we need to have enough to pay for necessities. We've got to have a place to live, we've got to have clothing, we've got to have food, uh, transportation, uh, medical care. Um, But the question kind of comes down to how much is enough for our necessities? What's actually a necessity? Um, And I think it's a hard, or the book also says too, it's kind of a hard line to draw. Like, I I can't look at Daniel's like, okay, here's what your necessities are, so you need this much money. There you go. Uh, And anything uh, more than that, you're being selfish. I, from the outside, I can't observe that, you know, because I don't know what is going on in their lives and stuff. Um, but there's an interesting quote, I think, from uh, John Piper in the book. He says, the impossibility of drawing a line between night and day doesn't mean you can't know when it's midnight. So you may not know where you are on that spectrum, but from the outside, someone, someone can see, yeah, that's clearly hoarding. So just would challenge you to prayerfully consider where your heart is regarding sacrifice. Uh, Generosity is a means of grace. Well, there is no promise in the New New Testament about physical rewards in this lifetime uh, for our giving. And I know there's some preachers that 
will say, you know, you can um, give in order to get more. Um, the whole name it and claim it kind of mentality that um, I'm doing this so that God can give me, give me. Um, that's not evident in the New Testament. Um, but the New Testament does lean towards blessings due to a generous heart. Um, can someone look up Acts 20, 35? And then someone else wants to grab 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. And then whenever Acts 20 is ready, you can go ahead and read that. Uh, 20.35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way many must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So saying it's more blessed to give than receive, and it, the context isn't necessarily talking about um, financial blessings in the here and now, but the, the blessing that you receive by having a, a generous heart. Um, how about uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11? But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity for God loveth a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work as it is written he hath dispersed abroad he hath given to the poor his righteousness remaineth forever now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Being enriched in everything, to all bountifulness, which causeth to us thanksgiving to God. Okay. All right. So, talking about sowing sparingly and reaping, uh, sowing sparingly, sowing bountifully, um, but also connected with that is God making all grace abound to you. So grace being tied to being generous uh, in this passage. Um, and lastly, God is the most cheerful giver. Um, who can quote John 3.16 from memory? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right, yeah. God gave his own son that we have, um, can, might have life. God freely extends to his grace and forgiveness and salvation. Um, there's all kinds of um, uh, things that we can read where God is a generous, cheerful giver. Um, so how would you assess your attitude towards money? Is it something that you're hoarding and saving up because um, you're unsure of what your future is going to look like or that God will meet your needs? Or I think sometimes what a lot of people find themselves in is your money is so tied up in payments towards stuff that there's no wiggle room to be a generous giver. Sometimes that is so easy to do with just 12 easy payments of, you know, or um, the lease is only this long, or the, um, 
whatever it is. So all kinds of things can, well, it's not this much per month, but it's 60 months or 36 months. And so many of those subscriptions or payments uh, add up to where, wow, I have nothing left at the end of the month, so I can't be generous. And even considering how can I be in a better place with my finances? What can I do to change things around? Any other thoughts or comments on finances before we head off into time? I have a question. Uh, if someone cheats us financially or steals from us, how, how should we deal with that? Mm -hmm. And my second question is, in the Bible there is a story of a widow who puts in one coin into the box. Mm -hmm. So is that what we are supposed to do, give, give up everything? Well, um, one of the scriptures that came to mind with your first question, um, my mind went back, uh, what was the first one again? Uh, if someone financially cheats us. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh gosh, um, I have to remember the reference. But um, there's a New Testament scripture about, um, in a sense, talking about getting back at someone, getting even. Um, isn't it better just to go ahead and be wronged by someone um, than to uh, seek, I guess, to even the score? And I'm very much paraphrasing it. Do you, do you know which I'm talking about? I think of like if, if your brother takes your cloak, will you not even this, the other one? You know, but I think there are in a moment there can be two different right answers based on the discernment of the spirit as to what you know you should be doing. But yeah. it was about lawsuits, uh, yeah. about uh, believers suing each other because they've been wronged, and uh, it's in Corinthians, uh, either first or second. And Paul was saying, wouldn't it better just to be um, wronged by someone else because now you're kind of um, uh, making a, a black mark against the church because you're going to court where there's unbelievers like hey this Christian wronged me and so it's like your testimony to the world is Christians fighting with each other and suing each other so that that is one thing that came to mind for me and the second question was uh, the widow the widow yeah with giving them I think part of that context was the um, the Pharisee making such a big deal about look at all that I'm giving don't know if it was what percentage of his income it was but it was very much about pride and everyone look at me look at what I'm doing but yet the widow was quietly giving what God had prompted her to give so part of it was just the attitude I mean, I'm sure there's definitely a lesson with the amount that was given and maybe what percentage of it but some of it had to do with the attitude of pride and arrogance and want to look at me versus I'm obediently doing what God wants me to do no matter who sees. Any other thoughts or comments? I'm actually, I guess, thinking of uh, the last time I talked going really fast, uh, so I might be a little short or have extra time left over. Uh, okay, and then lastly, the third aspect being time. What and it seems like everything we do today is governed by time. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to visit some other countries where time is more like, eh, we'll start whenever, or we will finish whenever. You know, not so much here uh, in the States and uh, some other countries. Um, so just thinking of the common saying, there's never enough time. Um, if only there's more hours in the day. 
Um, what are two extremes with time management? Not managing time properly. Wasting it. Wasting yeah, it. neglecting or procrastinating. Yeah, that's definitely a, a wrong extreme. How about the other side? Too busy, way too packed. Yeah, yeah. There is no breathing room. You're just constantly nonstop. And uh, granted, there we can have moments like this and not necessarily be wrong. Uh, there can be seasons in our life, hopefully relatively short, um, where some of these might come up, but um, habitually being in both extremes can be a, uh, uh, a thing that leads us astray. Um, okay, I got a couple more scriptures to read. Um, how about James 4, verses 13 through 16? And then Proverbs 27.1. Both of these scriptures talk about our attitude towards time. So you got James? Okay. Uh, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Um, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And instead you ought to say, the Lord wills, you shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting of evil. Yeah. And then how about uh, Proverbs 27.1? Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Mm -hmm. So really kind of the attitude is, if the Lord wills. And if you allow yourself, you might be able to, might go to the extreme of, well, I'm just not going to plan anything. I'm just going to let it happen and be spontaneous. And it's not exactly what it's saying, but the the thought that I'm in control of everything and uh, not allow room for God to guide me to order my day. <clears throat> um, but I think it seems like there's that never-ending push to be productive, to achieve results, whether that's results in our job, or in our families, uh, our kids, relationships, even results in ministry. Um, people have to see results. What are you doing? Are you accomplishing things um, and uh, moving forward? Um, how can pushing to get results, can, uh, how can that be both a positive and a negative? So a, a negative could be easy, just the, the push and the stress and trying to achieve results too quickly or um, thinking ministry-wise through our own efforts. Might be a little hard to think of a positive. What, what might be a positive of um, being, uh, striving to be productive? Right, right. It can help us to be purposeful and not lazy. Um, that we're trying to have some kind of structure. We're trying to um, make a difference. We're trying to, um, to have some kind of goal. Yeah. So it can be a positive. Um, the book talks about uh, two different kinds of time. Proactive time 
and reactive time. So with proactive, uh, it's talking about being on mission, um, time that we plan out and schedule. And since here we're talking about being on mission in ministry, um, then it's time that we schedule for ministry. Um, maybe it is, like we were talking about a little bit earlier, discipling. It's I've scheduled time to be with my small group or to be at church or to meet with two other guys one-on-one. It's time that we um, plan and it's purposeful, it's intentional. Um, yeah, so these things take charge of our time. Reactive time is having open space to allow ourselves to be interrupted. Um, in Titus 3.14, it says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. It's kind of hard to plan to help with urgent needs because those tend to pop up last minute. Um, but if you allow space in your, in your time that when something urgent or critical comes up, I can set aside some of the proactive stuff and take care of a need to help someone out that needs it. Um, I allow myself to be interrupted is basically what that is. <clears throat> um, so kind of thinking of the, the, um, uh, the full schedule, if our schedule is so jam-packed full of things, even if they're good, we won't have time for God to interrupt us to meet a need or to serve somebody or to spread the gospel. Sometimes one can spend so much scheduled time preparing for ministry, they don't actually do ministry along the way. So four lessons of fruitful time management. Um, one of those is just consider your calling. What are you gifted at? All of us have different gifts, um, talents, passions, and abilities. And so where is God calling you to use those gifts to further his kingdom? It may be full-time ministry, or it may be ministry where you're at, whether it's at your job, in your neighborhood, uh, in your family. Um, whatever your gifting is, um, follow God's leading to use that gifting. Um, so follow that calling. Um, the second one is plan with big stones. So the big things in your life that um, God has called you to do, like I was just thinking of um, um, Pastor Michael, you know, his calling is as a pastor, as a preacher. So one big, huge thing likely on his plate is preparing the message. That's probably a big item for him to do, prepare the sermon for Sunday. Um, but especially in a small church with a pastor, so many small things can get on his plate and urgent things like, oh, the Bolins need help with something. As I keep on picking on you, um, that they need help with something, so I gotta stop what I'm doing and go help out, meet a need, make sure they're okay. And all the, the smaller urgent things take precedence over preparing for the sermon on Sunday. And then Saturday night comes around, it's like, ah, I gotta scramble and hurry and do this thing. When you, plan for the big stones first, that I'm taking care of this first thing before I do anything else that can help you with your time management. And the little things can be secondary and uh, may not get in the way. Along with that, number three, make the most of your mornings. So many uh, verses in the Psalms speak about seeking God in the morning. Even Jesus showed us as he got away for uh, time alone, time to prayer, a lot of times he did that in the morning. Um, early, alone, and with God while it was still dark. Um, and this time of season, it's not too hard to get up early and it's still be dark. Um, but if you focus your most uh, focus on the most important thing first in the morning, 
it's less likely to get crowded out later on in the day. Um, if you make those priorities first in the day, it's easier to um, let other things distract you a little later on. Distract is the wrong word, um, but to meet those more urgent things later on because you've taken care of the big things first. And fourth, um, fruitful time management creates flexibility for meeting others' needs. Um, if, your schedule, if you don't fill your schedule so full of stuff with planning uh, that there's no time, I messed that up. Don't fill your schedule so full with planning things there's no time for interruptions. Um, there can arise all kinds of opportunities to meet needs, to love others, uh, to serve and share the gospel if we allow for those opportunities. Um, kind of like we just mentioned with planting the big stones and making the most of your mornings. Um, when an interruption comes later in the day, you're more likely able to meet those needs. Um, and additionally, sometimes what can be really, really helpful is if you find yourself easily busy and, and um, uh, caught up with stuff, pray for interruptions. Pray and say, God, interrupt me in order to um, love others, to serve others, to minister to others. And also, uh, I know what I pray for sometimes, help me notice those. Because sometimes I'll be you know, single focused on doing something on a task or whatever, and those blinders um, prevent me from seeing things that maybe God is wanting me to do. So I will specifically pray and ask God to help me notice the things that he wants me to do and be sensitive to those. Um, So what are some ways, uh, and just an application point, how can you adjust your time management in order to be on mission for the glory of God? What are some adjustments that you can make in your day to, um, for one, take care of the big important thing that needs to be done, but also allow time to meet the needs of others? So wrapping things up with this book, um, we started off early on with um, the Bible and talking about how to read the Bible, uh, how to study the need to memorize it and applying scripture. Um, we also spoke about prayer, whether it's praying alone, uh, praying corporately, prayer with fasting, prayer with journaling, or spending time in prayer in solitude um, for a period of time. We also talked about what it's like to be in fellowship with other believers, whether that's in corporate worship, uh, listening to solid gospel-filled preaching, um, be in fellowship with baptism and communion, and even correction. And finally, this last lesson on um, being in mission with God with disciple-making and finances and time, uh, time management. Um, so in your walk with God, don't try and do it all alone and by yourself. It's really kind of hard to do that. Um, be in fellowship with others, and not only, I mean, social time is great and fun, and, and we can enjoy being together socially, but also being together intentionally, and um, asking questions about where they are in their walk with God, what God is doing, what their needs are, things that you can pray for, and um, not only saying, yeah, I'll pray for you about that, but maybe even being interrupted and stopping right there and praying with that person. Sometimes. I'm forgetful, I know. Um, that could be help, helpful to pray with them right then and there. Um, just joining arm in arm and being on mission together for the glory of God.